Alrighty, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Nahmadahu wa nasalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So April 12th, mashallah, fast number 21. Yeah, give or take. No, is that right? Yeah, 21. And here we are looking at the metaphors we left off after completing the second metaphor the first one being the metaphor of the man killing the fire light spreading all around causing darkness to the hypocrites second metaphor is you have the hypocrite walking inside you have the hypocrite walking inside the uh a rainstorm and darkness thunder lightning and to protect themselves the hypocrite just sticks their fingers in their ears to protect themselves from the thunder that cannot hurt them and the core fear was actually a fear of death this brings us to the third metaphor ayah 20 so let's put it on the screen And once again, let me know. What's that screen is loading? Okay, you can see it. Yeah, very good, Mashallah. So, I 20, I 19, they're in a rainstorm. Continuing in I 20, the lightning almost snatches away their sight. Whenever it flashes on them, they walk. When darkness falls around them, they stand still. If God had so willed, he could take away their hearing and their sight. God has power over all things. So back to the scenario of the person who is inside the rainstorm. You've all experienced that moment when lightning strikes and it's as bright as day. And even in the split second before that, everything's white. Flash of lightning, white, bright as day, dark. No. And so that's what's happening with the lightning. And so when it flashes, they walk. When it darks, when it's dark, they stand still. Why do they walk when it flashes? Why do they stop when it stand when it, why do they stop when it's dark again? What would be possible reasons? Danya. Uh, I can think of two, like the metaphor that's going and then the like literal, the literal reason would be, you know, when it's flashed and you could see, um, so you can see what's in front of you and you can walk. Mm -hmm. um, and then when it's not flashing, it's dark. So you can't see, so they're standing still until they yes. can see going on next. Um, and then playing on with the metaphor, when it flashes on them, that means like they're not hit. So they're not dead nice um okay that's pretty cool okay and then when darkness falls around them they don't know when what's going to happen next uh -huh. like, sure that works too so especially looking at the first uh, your first example they can see their next step they can see that their next step is safe when the lightning flashes when it's dark again they can't see their next step so they're too afraid to take a step and so the previous metaphor was about fear. 
this metaphor is about trust. In the previous metaphor, they were fearing something that could not hurt them, thunder. They should have feared lightning, but the core fear was a fear of death. Here, they're trusting something that can kill them, lightning. And they should trust something that is trustworthy. I just start yawning when I'm in this class, and it's not even shaitan. That means it's me. Anyway, so, so the point here is the previous metaphor. Uh, so let's take this all the way. 17 to 18. And let's make this a different color just to help make sense. It is about... Uh, yearning or repulsion from guidance yearning for or repulsion from light meaning guidance oops 19 is about fear especially fear of death And then 20 is about trust, especially trust in the non-trustworthy. Okay. So the lightning flashes, takes away their sight. When it flashes, <clears throat> they walk. When it's dark, they stand still. If Allah willed, he could take away their hearing and their sight. Then what would they do? They'd be frozen. They're too afraid to move forward. Allah has power over everything. So how did the previous ayah end? Allah, well, wallahu muhitum kafirin. It's probably, this is the closest. Allah surrounds the kafirs. Okay. And then here, Allah is taking away the light of the hypocrites. Okay. So, looking at this in regarding Allah, let's give this a different color again as well. You can tell the internet is being used. A lot of students have papers due. And so now it's taking longer for things to load up. Regarding Allah, I have 17 and 18. Allah controls light. Meaning Allah controls guidance. The Prophet, peace be upon him, is delivering the light. Allah is the one who makes it spread. Allah is the one who causes darkness. And then 19, Allah surrounding the rejectors, Allah is inescapable. Yeah, let's keep it, let's keep it simple. Allah surrounds. 
and there's a reason why I'm choosing to go with the what the text says, which I'll share in a second. And then 20, Allah has all power. So when you are being hit with struggle that you don't want to face, you might see it as the abandonment of Allah. You might see it as Allah imposing something upon you, but Allah is always present in every scenario. Okay. If I'm a kafir, then effectively through this lens, I'm seeking to escape from Allah, but Allah is everywhere. In the case of trust, the key thing I should be trusting is the power of Allah. So as we go through all these passages, we're also looking to see what they say about Allah. The last thing I want to draw attention to regarding all of it is then what is the corresponding good behavior or good outlook? From 17 to 20, we said that the light of the Prophet, peace be upon him, causes them darkness. We want to be yearning for the light. We want to want the light. So the good behavior is to seek guidance. Now, let me put it in such a way that hopefully does not sound arrogant. So Chicago, uh, you know, I'm, I have influence in this community here, right? You know, big fish, small fish, big pond, right? I was in, when I was in Medina, well, I was privileged to be in Medina and Mecca a couple of weeks ago. The wonderful thing about it is being completely anonymous. But then on top of that, random person next to me, might be more beloved by Allah than me. So I'm paying attention to what everybody else is doing. For the sake of trying to figure out what are ways to get more of Allah's love. What is this person doing? What is this person doing? What is this person doing? Right? With the privilege of anonymity, that was much easier. And so the point is, you might find these things in people you otherwise regard as far less than you. Not in an arrogant way, less in terms of knowledge. It could be that the person of less knowledge might be closer to Allah. How? How is it that a person of less knowledge could potentially be closer to Allah than a person with greater knowledge? It's actually a pretty simple point behavior yeah do they practice what they preach and thus how relate to what jewel is saying you know what is the purity of their heart so the 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 risk of knowledge is that it might make me a worse version of what i am because now i know how to back it up with scripture the benefit of knowledge is that i transform myself closer to the vision of whatever the knowledge is preaching. But the risk 
is that I'm still me, but I'm an enhanced, worse version of me. Because now I have scripture to back it all up. So it can be that someone might have a little bit of knowledge, but they're practicing it with such thoroughness that they are closer to Allah than someone who might have volumes of knowledge more than they do. So the goal is to seek knowledge, seek guidance from whomever the source is. And then the other ayah, ayah, uh, sorry, that's um, 17 through 18. The next ayah, this we've already addressed. Good behavior is fear what can hurt you. And then part two, better than that, is fear uh, Allah, not death. And then I-20. Oh, by the way, uh, another story related to this last ayah. I was teaching this class, this exact class, here in a building over here. And same conversation I raised, you know, who here is afraid of spiders? A bunch of people said that they're afraid of spiders. And while we're doing the lesson, a student screamed. It was like a screech. It's like, well, what's going on? And that was because while we were doing the lesson, this little tiny spider started, you know, floating down on its little web, you know, probably hanging out, trying to take the lesson in. And someone saw that. And I don't know that I've heard that person scream as much as he did that day before or since but yeah so yeah so fear Allah not death and then this one is trust that which is trustworthy because the nature of the charlatan is that you're trusting the charlatan but the charlatan's effect on you can be like lightning they come as quickly or they leave as quickly as they come. Because what does the prophet, peace be upon him, say? That there are those people who will dress like we do, who pray like we do, uh, who speak like we do. And in fact, when you see them pray, you're going to feel like none of your prayers count. And Iman goes through them like an arrow going through a deer. And read that a couple ways, how fast Iman goes in and out. But in the process, how much does it destroy as it's going through? So trust that which is trustworthy. Primarily meaning that which Allah directs us to for guidance. So when we speak of these passages regarding what came before, they're speaking about hypocrisy. When we speak of these passages about what comes after, we have a different dimension. So, up until this point, we have still not had any commands. We've gone through a number of pages, still no commands. But here we also have some of the most basic principles about following the commands. One is that you should seek guidance. Two, fear what can hurt you. What is it that often makes us afraid to practice our beliefs? It's what people are going to say. What they're going to say about us, what they're going to say to us. Right? 
that uh, the point is that that's basically thunder. It's this loud, perhaps frightening noise, but it can't hurt you. And then trust that which is trustworthy to take a step forward. If Allah is take, telling us to take a step forward, then we want to have the trust in Allah that if we take a step forward, we'll be safe. Okay, make sense? All right. Now, everybody brace yourself. It is time for the first command. Dun, dun, dun. All righty. So, so you've been taking these classes with me, know, have heard this speech from me before, that I've asked this question to literally thousands of Muslims over the last 20 years or so. Can you tell me what is the first command when we open up from page one? Not what is the first command the prophet received, peace be upon him, that was Iqra, the first command when we open from page one. The students who repeat students have heard this question from me so many times that they have it lodged in their minds. Sadia, what's the first command? Or Danya, what's the first command? Abdu Rabbakum, so worship your Lord. Exactly, be the Abd of your Rabb. And having asked this question to thousands of people, give or take maybe five people have been able to answer this question. And most of those five people actually went through the whole Quran in their head. Blah, 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 blah. Bam. Yeah. You know. It's fun asking this to first years because first years are still fresh out of high school. They think they know more than they know. I mean, 20 year olds think they know more than they know, but first years think they know even more than that. And I'll ask this question. They're like, yeah, I know what it is. And they're like trying to figure it out. I know what it is. But then they never can. I'll, I'll just tell them, just give up. You're not going to get it. Any case. The first command is Surah 2, Ayah 21. Ya ayyuhannas u'budu rabbakum alladhi khalakakum alladhi khalakakum walladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon So people, O mankind, O humanity, be the abd of your rub. Be the abd of your rub. Same thing. Same thing. Sadia. Sorry, when you asked me the question, I lost connection and you probably didn't hear my answer. So, uh, but it was uh, probably the correct answer. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Okay. Actually, so. no. Yes, it was. Mashallah. Very good. Okay. Be the abd of your rub is the first command. When we are told to be the abd of our rub, what is the command telling us to do? Like if it said give charity, okay, that means we have to give charity. It said to pray, we have to pray. What does it mean to be the abd of our rub? 
ideas, guesses? I hero and obey. Okay. Yeah. Essentially, it's you're taking on the disposition that whatever Allah tells me to do, I'm going to do. That if Allah tells me to take a step forward and there is light, I, I will take a step forward. If Allah tells me to take a step forward and it is dark and scary, I will still take a step forward. So that's the first part here. How different is it if the command was not be the abd of your rabb, but instead was be the abd of your malik? your master. How does that change the feeling of it? The meaning is basically still the same, but Mustafa. Uh, Rub, I believe, comes from uh, uh, like the same word as terbeya, which is to teach. Related. Yeah, nurture, yes. nurture, yes. And so I think there's an element of that involved with the usage of rub as opposed to malik because malik does not have that nuance yeah malik is basically servant master relationship as jewel says more more formal less intimate and so what else we're being taught here <clears throat> at one level is your goal is to try to be ready to have the disposition that whatever allah tells me to do i'm going to do but second I'm going to see it as beneficial for myself. If it was be the abd of your malik, then we're doing things because we're supposed to, which is the common way we look at these things in our community. As opposed to, I will try to do whatever Allah tells me to do because, and I find it nourishing, nurturing. Very, very different, subtly different, but significantly different approach in how we look at the deen. I want to look at Allah's instructions as beneficial for me, nurturing me. So he created you as he created those before you. He created you as he created those before you so that perhaps you may get taqwa. So this goes back to the point we made at the beginning of the surah that this is guidance for those who have taqwa. What if you don't have taqwa? This is guidance on how to get taqwa. <coughs> Perhaps you will get taqwa by making, by taking Allah as your rabb and being the abd of your rub. Okay, that's I-21. Moving on to I-22, we have a number of exercises here. So everybody get ready to note down some note type things. So, and the easiest way, you don't have to do this, but the easiest way is that if you just type immediately into the chat box, but you don't have to do that, you can do a different approach. I'm going to say things and I want you to note down the first two things that comes to mind. Okay. Everybody ready? Good. 
earth. So note down the first things that come to mind when you hear earth. So no to type in the chat box, fine. Yeah. Uh, Danya. Okay, planet oxygen, nice. Oh, now people are I know that was weird, but that's what popped into my head. Yeah, makes sense, you know, Northwestern brain, but yeah, you know. You know. You know, my niece goes to Northwestern now, right? I don't know if she talked about this. Did she really? Yeah, and her dad went there. So they're like a legacy. I'm yeah. both happy and sad for her. Uh, yes. Okay. So this is round, solid. Uh, Jewel says soil, water, soil, planet, planet, sun, planet, earth. Now, here's the interesting thing. And I don't remember if we, I think we discussed this in this class. So many of you are picturing the Earth floating in space, black background, bluish thing. Uh, that is very modern. By very modern, I'm saying less than 70 years old. When we first started having pictures of the world, of the Earth floating in space. So try to imagine what did people a thousand years ago or 500 years ago, think of when they thought of Earth. The idea of the Earth as this little ball floating space, that's been around for thousands of years, not necessarily among the laity. So what do y'all think? What did people think of the Earth Home gives us food, sure. Or maybe just the ground in front of them. So, okay, next thing. The sky. What comes to mind when you think of sky? Blue, water. Think of water when you think of the sky. Nice. Blue, shelter. Blue, rain. Clouds. Okay. All right, next one, water. Blue, wet, deep, life, water is life. Anything else for water? It's a feeling, blood, all right? Kind of got serious there really quickly. Alrighty. Roots. First thing comes to mind. Sweet, yummy, nice. Desire. Mm. Aroma. Color sweet. Sweet, healthy. So interesting that none of you actually mentioned any fruits. Sweet life. You gave me attributes, fruits, origins. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> I saw one in my head, dragon fruit from China. <laughs> okay, that was very, very precise. Usually I'm doing this exercise to see how long it is before some Daisy mentions mango. This time, nobody mentioned mango. I think it's the first time in the history of this class. Okay. 
Next one. The earth is a resting place. First two things that come to mind. Yes. Burial. I tell you about my, my friend, uh, complete relaxation, bed, grave. Nice. My friend who was giving a lecture on death. Did we talk about it in this class? He's, you know, a guy from Karachi. We grew up in Karachi. And so he's asking everybody, tell me about your debt. What do you think about when you think about your debt? Do you, any of you think about your death? Everybody raise their hand. He's like, what? Can a 20-year-old think about their death? So he pointed to one girl. What do you think about when you think about your death? And then the girl goes, my parents are not going to help me. Because they heard debt, not death. Yeah. Complete relaxation, bed grave. All right. The sky is a ceiling. First things that come to mind. Trapped and freedom. So both trapped and freedom. Interesting. This. <laughs> All right. Shelter, beauty. Oh, so nice. All righty. Next one. Water comes down from the sky. Warmth, sustainer, beauty, nourishment, love, mercy, life, freshness, life, destruction, attention, friendship, but some fear. Okay. I have an image of a bucket of water being dumped over us. All right. What was that challenge, that, that ALS challenge a couple of years ago? Yeah. Where you put like, a, take like a, a garbage can of ice water and then shoot. I am doing this ALS challenge on behalf of such and such, hoping to raise awareness by bludgeoning myself with cold water. Okay. Anyway, so. All right. The water brings forth fruits as your sustenance. First two things that come to mind. The water brings forth fruits as your sustenance. Farming, health, nice. Gratitude, blessings, nice. Okay. Now, making it bigger. Nourishment, health, okay. The earth is a resting place and the sky is a canopy. Two words that come to mind. Relaxing, lounging, cycle, symbolic relationship, symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Okay. Allah brings water, no, no, water comes down from the sky, bringing forth fruits as your sustenance. Water comes down from the sky, bringing forth fruits as your sustenance. Cycle steps, constant, contrast cycle, okay. 
So now we're going to put them all together. First few things that come to mind. The earth is a resting place. The sky is a, is a ceiling. Water comes down from the sky, bringing forth fruits as your sustenance. What comes to mind? The earth is a resting place. The sky is a ceiling. Water comes down from the sky, bringing forth fruits as your sustenance. Mercy. Very nice. Anything else? What's our purpose? Okay. Okay. The last, Allah made the earth a resting place for you and bring down, brings down water from the sky as uh, bringing forth fruits as your nourishment for you. Especially for me. Okay. Nice. So the exercise we did was to try to think through the ayahs, through the lens of the ayahs. The hard part of these particular ayahs, like ayah 22, is, is that we find ourselves thinking, yeah, we already know this because Allah does everything. He is the one who made the earth a resting place for you and the sky a canopy and sent out water from above wherewith he brought forth fruits as your sustenance. But the point is to try to think exactly of what is being described as a way to think with the Quran. But the remainder of the ayah is the second command. What is the second command? Therefore, do not knowingly set up rivals to Allah. If he does all of this for you, don't make rivals to Allah. Do not knowingly set up rivals to Allah. Okay. So what is it effectively saying? Look at all that Allah does for you. Be grateful. So essentially, be grateful to Allah. Yeah. Any questions? These are the first and second commands. If you want to irritate your fellow Muslims, Ask them, can they tell you, starting from page one, what are the first and second commands? Usually I do the reverse, especially like when I work on uh, counter-radicalization cases where you have a person who may have either killed in the name of ISIS or has spoken about violence as something praiseworthy. I'll ask them, okay, can you tell me when I open from page one, what is the fifth instruction that Allah gives? Oh, you can't have the fourth. Oh, you can't have a third. Oh, you can't have the second. They can't have it the first. They never can. 
And so what I'd like you to consider is the way the surah is operating, it's creating the person. Does it make sense that the first command would be the first command, be the abd of your rab? I think that makes complete sense. And does it make sense that the second command is the second command? Do not knowingly create rivals to Allah. So there are two sides of the oneness of God. Turn to Allah, I 21. I 22, don't turn to anything else. Don't make rivals to Allah. Alrighty, any questions about any of this? Okay, then we will stop right here, inshallah. And then we will have a conditional command addressing the issue of doubt. And then we will have the third command. Dun, dun, dun. Right, no questions? Just as an aside from the, pre- from the previous ayahs that we went over, yes. I think it's extremely difficult to not fear death. Totally. That's a level of faith. That Think of the lay person having fear of death unless they were raised like in a war zone or something. Yeah. Right. Um, sometimes I watch videos of... Um, these like little Palestinian kids running up to a tank and I'm like, that is not normal. Um, But just in general, I think despite where you grew up or like how you came up, I think it's very difficult to not be afraid even just a little bit of maybe even just the pain or. I think I fear injury more than I fear death. I used to fear old age more than I feared death, but watching my parents decline in their old age, it's not as scary anymore. You know, old age terrifies me. Like seeing it in the like hospital, I'm I'm terrified. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, that's probably a whole different dimension. Terrified. You know? Yeah. Why fear of injury over death? Because then, like, you gotta like live with the injury. You know, or death is you know you're done. Totally weak. I'm totally weak. I totally own it. So. Alrighty. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections on any of this? So you mentioned yesterday that Sadia. Uh, so yeah, I forgot to raise my hand. Oh no, I'm just um, calling your name because I like calling out people's names. But yeah. Okay. So uh, you mentioned yesterday that um, that if how what can help you not fear death something of that sort right like how to not fear death no wow i had an answer to this question that's profound i don't think so oh never mind then not profound um oh is that the question did you you answer that question already like specifically or or maybe we left off with that question was that it you did yes yeah yeah door knock question oh okay so ways to decrease your fear of death uh, number one is to increase your consciousness of the day of judgment. So, I mean, fundamentally, a lot of this, <clears throat> a fear of death is a fear of the unknown. Like, try to even comprehend ceasing to exist. One of the fascinating things about how the world operates is, like, there's a, the notion the river continues to run, that someone dies, everything else keeps running. Another person dies, everything keeps running. Another person dies, everything keeps running. Other people are being born, 
So except for the people who are immediately connected to the person who passes away, life goes on. You know, so someone who might be super close to someone who is close to you, but you're not close to them and they die. So let's say we'll call them, you know, person Jack. Let's say you're friends with Jill and Jill's dad, Jack, dies. But you're not really connected to Jack. You, your life goes on with no change. Jill's life has to start going on again at some point. And that strange thing I find fascinating because one by one, all these people are getting knocked out, ding, 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 by dying. And the world continues to run almost as though you don't even notice that these people have died unless they were close to you, you know, because more people keep entering. So <clears throat> ways to mitigate the fear of death. One is to increase your consciousness of the day of judgment. Another is to really look at death. Why am I? I was about to open up a lifesaver. Good thing. I, yeah. Another <clears throat> is to literally regard it as inevitable, inescapable. As like death is more inescapable, more a reality than me walking out of this room, right? Because I could die in the room. And so really look at it as something that <clears throat> it's as though you're born and you enter a room, and over the course of life, you go to the door on the other side, then you walk through the door on the other side, and that's it. So another way to mitigate the fear of death is to regard it as something you just can't escape. So either you get resigned to its reality, or better, you embrace it as reality. I mean, this is different from this notion, but you know, I always wrestle with you know when somebody famous dies and especially if they had some major wrong actions in their lives i find myself wondering what was the point have any of you seen the movie the irishman robert de niro al pacino yeah one of the big themes of that film from start to finish is basically again what's the point every single gangster that they had in that film they would show right when they introduced the gangster they would show this is when the person dies. This is how the person dies. They always get shot, right? And if you know that's the, your destiny in this world, then what's the point of going down that road? What does it actually give you? And so this is something that I reflect upon a lot whenever someone big dies. You know, especially if they're dying in something that gives them nothing be, except for fame. A lot of people live their lives the way they do because they're finding fulfillment in whatever it is. Most of us in our society, we live our lives by chasing something. And then decades go by and we may or may not stop to think what I just do with my whole life. So think of death as an inevitability, I think also mitigates our fear of it. And gratitude, again, treats a whole lot of things. Gratitude is one of those Tylenol, ibuprofen type things that treats so many different things. Make sense? Any other questions, thoughts, reflections on this commands, death, anything? So my, um, my, my fear is kind of childish, I would say. Because every time I think about dying myself, it feels like, oh my God, I don't know life without breath. 
So how would it be like not breathing? Sure. I don't think it's childish. It's I think it's fascinating. It's, it's going to be so suffocating and dark. Or you don't need to breathe anymore. I know, but that's hard. To, I, I mean, I tell sure. myself that, but it's hard to really totally. imagine that. Yeah. I remember I was at my friend's father's Janaza, his funeral, his burial, and it was slightly snowing. And my friend was keeping the coffin over his dad's face so the snow doesn't land on it. But would it have mattered? Right. But that was that's an instinct any of us would do in that situation. So and I'm guessing by now everybody in this room probably has had people in their personal lives who've passed away. But even being in the presence of the body of a loved one is a very profound experience, you know. And <clears throat> trying to comprehend even just this is this person who yesterday was up and active or last week was up and active and now they're nothing. Hazel, for whatever you want to share, what was that experience like washing this body for the first time? SubhanAllah, it was a, a really close friend of mine mm. who was a convert and... Um, oh, Ali? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and subhanAllah, while, while we were there, mashallah, there was eight of us ready to wash her body. And they let us go in, honestly, Muzaffar and everyone just picking her up from the coffin. Uh -huh. and, and I, myself and one other sister got, actually had to get on the metal part where the body's washed. Like we had to get on there to help lift her. Wow. And, and I was just looking at her, somebody who always smiled and I always saw her teeth because she smiled so wide. It was really humbling. And I think for me was like <clears throat> knowing that her presence was also in the room, like her soul was there. Uh, like I would just like look around and it, it yeah. was really hard, subhanAllah. Um, but it was beautiful because, you know, the sisters that were there at MCC were directing us what to do and um, you know, and I, you know, I was just telling sisters, okay, do this and do this and and I would have my moments of like stepping back and and just making da for her and like whispering because she was in the room. I'm like, mama. Like, I hope we're doing a good job. I hope the water is okay for you. I know you like your water really hot. And it would just make me smile. Uh -huh. And to, you know, subhanAllah, when you know, you mentioned about your friend's father covering your friends covering his his father's face. Yeah. But it's still fascinating because they can still feel it, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, even when one of the sisters was, like, braiding Holly's hair and she, like, pulled it, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, mama. Like, I'm so sorry. I, I you know, like, I was too harsh with your hair. And we just, like, chuckled because, yeah, that's our instinct. Like, she still, she can still feel it. It was very humbling. And as you said, like, it's inevitable. But it was really got me thinking, you know, who do I who is going to wash my body totally. who is going to give me my final ghusl my final right in this dunya yeah. um and subhanallah just continue continuing who's going to keep making dua for me and 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 just like you said who are the people life goes on except for the people who are close to that person but yeah. 
I keep thinking like, who's going to pray for me? You know, I'm still praying for her. And I know, you know, a lot of us are, and I think of myself, like who's going to pray for me when I go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As an exercise, uh, a spiritual beneficial therapeutic exercise I'd encourage is go to like a somewhat old cemetery and go look at those old graves that are there of someone who let's say died a hundred years ago and then try and especially if a whole tomb has been built like or even a giant stone that this person was so loved or honored that the family or whoever invested in a very expensive tombstone if not a tomb but now this person's completely forgotten and the people who made that are probably also dead and forgotten. And that is the cold reality of this world. And then even try to imagine yourself in your own grave, like the way Sadia said, like suffocating and such. That little thin space that is the destiny of each and every one of us. And then even try to imagine for every one of us, somebody is going to be washing each of our bodies. Try to even imagine who that is, you know, or who that would be. So, any other thoughts, questions, reflections about any and all this? I often, when I think about death, I think I often think about how I will be remembered. Uh -huh. Like when I hear uh, people saying really, really good things about someone who died. And I'm like, is this how I will be remembered? Mm -hmm. Is this how do I want to be remembered? And it, oh, totally. it helps me correct my ways, my mm -hmm. behavior, and it affects my actions. Mm -hmm. So I have seen a really positive impact of that, like what legacy I'm leaving behind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If it... So I was going to ask, um, what are the Islamic rulings surrounding like autopsy and even just like, um, like, you know, cadaver, like dissection and stuff, you know? Yeah, this is a, uh, so if you ask the common person, they'll say the common knowledgeable person, they'll say they're both no-nos. Uh, but uh, I forgot the text. It was by this Egyptian scholar who does this whole thorough argument about the necessity of of autops autopsies as well as uh, cadavers generally in terms of medicine and education the rules all kind of bend quite a bit as just a general principle and even things like you know music was used very commonly in the history of muslim hospitals as a therapy right and so you can imagine the same thing for for things like uh dissection of cadavers as well as autopsies uh, I forgot the name of the book. I'll have to find the name of the book. I think it's been translated into English. That, the other yeah. I had, they say it's um, it's made okay to do, right? Yeah. Then what about the pain that the body feels? Upon those best, yeah. When I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. I don't know. That's uh, that was part of the arguments why people said you couldn't do it. Part of it is that this is the body's a jurisdiction of a law, and part of it is that the person is feeling these things you know but how much do they feel that in comparison with everything else they're experiencing in the condition of death you know 
Yeah, all of them is best. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections on any of this? Sadia. So, uh, when you asked, I mean, when you asked that question yesterday, you there was a second part of it um, that when your fear of death um, is gone or is decreased, your fear of unknown decreases. Decreases as well. Yes. So, if you could a little bit elaborate on that as well, that would be great. So think about what is the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown is effectively a fear of something unexpectedly bad happening. The fear of the unknown is not like, oh, life might become silly awesome, right? It's life might surprise me by becoming bad. It's the fear of being in a vulnerable state. And what the person of faith wants to get to is to be comfortable in vulnerability. And conceptually, I don't think it's that hard, but to be in it, it is very hard. That where you're literally comfortable in the state that you don't know. Now, how can you do that? If you truly have trust in Allah. If you have trust in Allah, then you're technically not vulnerable ever. But there'll be many moments in our lives where we're waiting for like an answer. You know, like this is the week a lot of people are going to get their college, law school, med school uh, answers and such. And they're just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And to be comfortable in the fact that Allah is never abandoning me makes it very easy, easy for me to stay in a vulnerable state. Uh, if you look at 20-year-olds especially, they want to have full control over everything. And thus they have tons of anxiety. They want to be ready for any disaster that's about to hit them. So they inject themselves and their minds with with anxiety uh, so they're ready for any disaster. And that's the most miserable way a person can live. As opposed to, I'm going to live my life, and then, you know, if, when Allah is going to hit me with something, I'll deal with it then. But the starting point of all that is actually fear of death. Fear <laughs> of death is the ultimate thing. So do you make sense or do you need more explanation? What do you think? Yeah, it does. Um, and I will be reflecting on that more. Inshallah. Inshallah. Anything else? Alrighty. We will stop right here, inshallah. Um, and we will continue. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow I will not be available. Good thing I just reminded myself, mashallah. So I will see you all, inshallah, on Friday. No class tomorrow, but class, inshallah, on Friday. Okay, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell a word you all. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.